So I have a question. Well, I'm asking for a friend. Does God love transgender people? I'm asking for a friend. Everyone's worried all the time. What do you think we're all so worried about? so many gods. If our God is the one true God, why doesn't everyone believe that? Why does God only heal some people? I'm just asking for a friend. Good morning, church. How are you guys doing this morning? Good? It's good to see each of you here. And if you're our guest, once again, if it's your first time or you're worshiping online with us for the first time, I just want to welcome you. My name is Aaron, and I'm the lead pastor here at New Community Church, and I'm so glad that you're with us this morning. And we're in the middle of this series called Asking for a Friend. And we've been tackling some really tough topics and looking um, at some questions that we have. There may be questions that we don't really know the answer to, and so we've gone to Scripture with that. Maybe we're embarrassed to ask, so we're asking for a friend, but it's been some great conversations that we've been having. And let me just say, I love the feedback as we've walked through this series together, just how this has opened up conversations for some of you guys to wrestle with these ideas. Um, others of you have mentioned it's been great in your workplace or with coworkers, or family members or friends just to be able to think about some of these things we've talked about. And these are not easy topics when we talk about does God love transgender people or even last week, how do we know Christianity is real? How do we know that that's the one true religion? And so I'm glad that we've been having these conversations and we want to be a church that doesn't shy away from these things, that we engage in some of these difficult topics. And so the question we're asking today is this, why does God only heal some people? Why does God only heal some people? And the two-second answer is, I don't know. Okay? So that's the message. We're done. No, I'm joking. We're going to dig in a little bit deeper there, okay? But why does God only heal some people? Um, let me start with the story. And I've shared part of this before. Um, some of you guys have heard this. But whenever I was about one year old, I was... Um, in an accident, and I got burned really bad by hot water. And so if you've ever seen me wear shorts, I have still burn marks all over, down my legs, all on my back, um, really severe burn marks. They were second and third degree burns. So that meant it went beyond the skin tissue, deep down into the muscle. And the doctors told my parents I'd never be able to walk again because of the um, extents um, or the intensity of the burns and, and what had happened in my body. And I was able to walk when I was about six or seven. I was going to the doctor for a follow-up for these burns. Have to go every year. And they said, Aaron, we're going to have to do surgery. Because as you're growing, that skin and the muscle tissue isn't stretching like it needs to. And it's causing problems. And further down the line, it's going to cause serious issues. And so we're going to have to do surgery. I was about six or seven years old. And they said, we'll put medical balloons in your leg. And every week you'll come in and we'll just expand those a little bit. It'll help the skin to stretch. 
Now, I was six years old, and I pictured one of those yellow party balloons going in my leg. And I thought, that's really scary. That does not sound okay. And so that Sunday when we were at church, I was in our kids' church, like we have right here in the next-gen room. And my kids' pastor says, does anyone have a prayer? And I just raised my hand. And I told him what was going on, and I was like, I don't want to have surgery. And so for a couple weeks, every Sunday, I was that kid that raised my hand and prayed for the same thing. And a few weeks later, I went back to the doctor. It was another follow-up, and then they were going to schedule surgery. And I remember him coming into the room, and he said, I can't explain it. I don't know how to describe it, but the tissue muscle is growing now. Your skin is stretching. It wasn't doing that a couple of weeks ago, and I was so excited, you guys. I knew in my heart, Jesus healed me. Like, it was something that the doctors could not explain. I couldn't explain it. We weren't doing anything different than we had done the rest of the years of my life. God had done something supernatural. And it's amazing, in my lifetime, personally and with others, I have seen God do some really amazing things to heal people. And then can I be honest with you and tell you, over the past 20 years of being a pastor, I've prayed in faith for some people. I've sat at the bedside of some people. I've cried, I've believed, I've fasted, I've prayed. And people that I love haven't been healed of sickness and disease and illness. And there's been difficulties of really believing with people that God could do something supernatural. And it's not come through like I've asked God to do that. And there's difficulty as we talk about this idea of healing. And so I just want to start just by talking about a couple of things that some of us may wrestle with or think through. Or maybe even some myths that we've come to believe when it comes to healing. So these are statements that are not true. Okay, so if you're taking notes, write really big, not true next to them, okay? Um, But the first is this, Jesus stopped healing after the Bible. So some of you may be new to faith, and this idea of God still healing us sounds a little weird. Or for others of you, and I love this about NCC, you may come from a different church background, or may have been a part of a different church where they taught you, you know what, Jesus healed and God healed people for a little bit during the time of the Bible, and even the 12 guys that walked with Jesus, like God used them to heal other people, but then all of that stopped. You know, as the early church kind of grew, and the Bible kind of ended, all of that ended, and Jesus doesn't still heal people. He stopped healing after the Bible. That is a myth. And I'm telling you that's a myth, not because of personal experience, because I want to be very clear, we don't base our faith or our belief off of personal experience, I'm telling you that because of Scripture. There is nowhere in the Bible that God says, you know what, I'm going to heal for a little bit, and then I'm going to stop healing. That's something I'm only doing for a little bit of time. And many of these pastors with great hearts and churches that teach this, there is in 1 Corinthians 12 a list of the spiritual gifts. So 1 Corinthians 12, a list of the spiritual gifts. And many of those pastors would say those gifts are still around. Administration. So leadership, that ability, hospitality, generosity, preaching, teaching. Yeah, God still does all of those things. But then they've, in that same chapter, they've said, well, there are a few things. God just stopped doing that because we can't really explain it, because it seems supernatural to us. And we can't do that with the Bible. We can't pick and choose from the same section of Scripture. Well, God chose to keep these things because we can kind of explain how those work. We can't explain how these work, so we're just going to exclude those and say God's done with that. That's not how scripture works. And so there's nowhere in the Bible, once again, this is not personal experience. This is God's word where God says, I'm going to do this for a little bit and then I'm going to stop. And and that's not what scripture teaches us. 
we see that God says, you know what? These are gifts of his spirit that he has given to the church. We see the early church leaders and individuals in the church. So not just pastors, but individuals in the church praying and believing for God to do something supernatural and to work for physical healing in people's body. That is found in scripture. We see that. So we need to get that myth out of our mind that, well, Jesus used to do that, but he doesn't do that anymore. No, the Bible teaches us that God still works in that way in our lives. The second is this, kind of on the other end of the spectrum, is this myth right here. This is not true. If you have enough faith, God will heal you. If you have enough faith, God will heal you. And can I tell you, this is so horrible because this has damaged so many people. There was this movement, um, I remember growing up and I heard pastors teach things like this, that um, it was called the faith movement or some people called it the name it, claim it. In other words, if you name it and claim it, God's got to give it to you and God's got to do this. And this is what they taught is if you're sick, you just have to tell God you're healed and God's already done it and so you're automatically healed. But here's the opposite end that they would also teach. If you're not healed, that means you don't really trust God. You don't have faith. You don't believe in God. If you truly just believed hard enough, God would have to do it. And it wasn't just healing. It was other things. You want that promotion? You just name it and claim it. You want a new house, a new car. You want some relationship? You just tell God that's what he needs to do and God's going to do it. You guys, that is so against what scripture teaches us. That is not in line with the scripture that we see in the Bible. God is not our magic genie. And he's not some magician that we call up and we say, okay, God, you do this for me. The scripture tells us we submit our lives to him. God does not submit himself to our will. That's what the Bible tells us. So that is not in keeping with scripture. So when you think of healing, or maybe someone's told you that, well, you're sick and it's because you don't believe in God enough. And if you just believed in God enough, he would do that. That is not in line with scripture. That's not what we're talking about today when we wrestle through this question of why does God only heal some people? That's not found in the Bible that if you just name it and believe it, God's got to do it. And so this is what I want to encourage you this morning as we look at this question. And even as we wrestle with this idea of what do we do when we're facing sickness or someone we love is facing an illness in their body. It's this. It's that we can trust Jesus in the healing and we can trust Jesus in the waiting. We can trust Jesus in the healing. We can trust Jesus in the waiting. And if you've ever read what's called the Gospels about the life of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus and what's going on in the Scripture, you see there are moments where Jesus heals people supernaturally. They can't explain it. God does something amazing. And then there are also stories in the Scripture. And if you want to read about this, go to Acts chapter 3, where there's this man that Jesus probably passed tens if not hundreds of times, who's not healed till years later after Jesus has already ascended into heaven. We trust Jesus in the healing. In Acts 3 and in other parts of the Bible, we trust Jesus in the waiting. We don't know why Jesus walked by that guy on the temple gate so many times and never stopped and said, stand up and walk. But it wasn't until years or months later after Jesus is gone that he finally is healed. We trust Jesus in the waiting. When God doesn't do what we want him to do or show up like we want him to do, we still trust him in this process. And so I'm going to give you a few scriptures and we're going to look at a few stories from the Bible that I want to encourage you with as we walk through this faith journey. 
And we talk about this. God, what do we do when we're praying? We're praying in faith, but God, the outcome isn't what we see it to be, or we don't know how it's going to turn out. And the first thing I want you to do is whenever you're facing a situation like this is that you trust him when you don't see the outcome. That's my encouragement to you. Trust God when you don't see the outcome, when you don't know how it's going to turn out. When you get the doctor's report or you get a phone call from a close friend or a family member and they say, hey, I'm going to have to have surgery or this is what the doctor said, that you trust God when you don't see the outcome, when you don't know how it's going to turn out. There's this powerful story in Daniel chapter 3, and you can go back later. I want to encourage you to write these down and go back later and read some of these passages. Now, this is not a passage about healing or illness in someone's body. But it is a life or death situation. This is what's going on. There were three young Hebrew men. Um, Their Hebrew names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But if you've read the Bible and you may be familiar with their story, we know them by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And this is what we're told is they're serving on some kind of leadership council for the king of Babylon. They're in exile or captivity away from the land that God had given them. And the king said this, The king created this giant statue, and he said, whenever this music plays, you're going to bow down and worship the statue. And if anyone does not bow down and worship the statue, they're going to be burned alive. And so the music starts playing, everyone's bowing down, but these three young Hebrew men, they stay standing up, and they don't bow down. The king becomes enraged, he gets so mad, and he's like, why aren't you doing this? And they explain why, and he's like, I'm going to give you one more chance, and this is their response. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 16, it says this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, and that's the part I want you to underline right there, But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods. We will not worship the image of gold that you have set up. Every time I read this story, I'm amazed by those few words right there. But even if he does not, there's this amazing faith in these three young men's life. Now, if you've read the rest of the story, you're like, that's such a crazy story, right? They get thrown into the fiery furnace. The king looks and he's like, wait, there's not three guys in there. There's four. And one of them looks like the son of God. And they're just walking around having a party in the middle of the fire. And then he calls them out and Nebuchadnezzar repents. And he's like, everyone worship the God of these three Hebrew young men. Like he's the one true God, like this amazing story. But they don't know that when they make this declaration, do they? They haven't read the end of the story yet. They're trusting, God, you're able to deliver us from this life and death situation. But let me tell you something. Even if you don't, God, we're still going to worship you. We're still going to trust in you, God. We're still going to believe. God, you have our undivided allegiance no matter how this story turns out, God. You have our full worship. We're not going to start worshiping something else, God. Our heart is holy yours. I'm amazed by that statement. But even if he doesn't, we're still going to worship him. And church, that's the kind of faith that we need. Is that saying, God, I know that you're able. 
Lord, I believe that you're bigger than cancer. I believe that you're bigger than any illness or what's going on in my body or some situation that my family member may be facing. God, I trust that you are able to do the supernatural and the impossible. But God, even if the outcome isn't like I think it is, I'm still going to worship you. I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to trust you, God. You have my allegiance. I love that statement, church. I want to challenge you. Whenever you're facing a medical situation, is that you trust him when you don't see the outcome. We see that over and over again in scripture. The people of God going into battle and they start worshiping God. They're singing songs like, God, you're our deliverance. God, you're the overcomer. You're victorious before the battle had even been fought because they said, God, we trust that you are able. That's the kind of faith we need in our life. The second thing is this, when God makes you wait, there is a bigger picture. When God makes you wait, there is a bigger picture. If you've ever read John chapter 11, you can turn there in your Bibles. This is the story of waiting. And this is what it says in John chapter 11. We're going to start reading at verse 1 and listen to the way that John tells this story. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And then he gives us a little context. This is Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same Mary who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so look what he does. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there for two more days. And everyone's like, what? (laughs) What do you mean he stayed? This is the guy he loves, and what does he do? Oh, I'll wait. And you keep reading this story, and John wants you to feel that, like what just happened in the story? That does not make sense. And Jesus gets there and he finds out Lazarus is dead. He's died. And Martha and Mary are like, Jesus, you loved him. He was your close friend. Like, couldn't you have healed him? Why didn't you come earlier? Why did you wait? There are people in the community of faith around them. Like, this guy opened the eyes of the blind and he made lame people walk. Like, could he have not healed Lazarus and stopped all of this from happening? And yet Jesus chooses to wait. Because there's a bigger picture going on here. And Jesus makes this powerful declaration, one of the most powerful statements in the whole life of Jesus, where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. It's me. And then he goes, after four days of Lazarus being in the grave, Jesus stands outside and he just speaks these simple words, Lazarus, come forth. And the dead man gets up and starts walking again. He gets up and comes back to life. And now this powerful statement, I am the resurrection and the life, everyone sees that and it begins to spread all over Jerusalem. God has the bigger picture. Doesn't make sense to us. Didn't make sense to Martha and to Mary when they were like, hey, why didn't you come earlier? And Jesus says, no, I'll choose to wait for a few more days. It doesn't make sense to us, but there is a bigger picture going on. In church, we have to trust them when God says, Wait. And can I be honest with you? Sometimes waiting comes like in Acts 3 where Jesus walks by us and we're not healed. But then later we experience healing. 
And you may have been praying for years, or you may know someone that's prayed for years, and then after like five, six, ten years, they're all of a sudden healed. And you're like, what happened? Why not ten years earlier? Why not all this time earlier? Sometimes the waiting and the healing comes through surgery. And that's hard to say, hey, God, that's the medical process that you've taken me through. But we trust, God, you have a bigger picture. Can I be honest with you? Sometimes the healing doesn't come on this side of heaven. It doesn't. I was talking with Anise last week in the lobby, and we were kind of talking about this. And she said, you know, another pastor mentioned to her one time, we're all healed as believers of God. Sometimes that happens here, and sometimes it doesn't happen until we're in heaven. But it's God's timing, and it's God's process. And we have to trust him that when we're waiting, there's a bigger picture. And that's hard, you guys. I tell my kids this all the time. I may not be able to explain every reason why I tell you to do something, but can you trust that I love you and that I'm a good father? And that's so important, students, kids, that you guys hear that, because as you're learning to trust your parents' voice, it translates into trusting God's voice. Of God, I may not understand, and you may not explain it to me why that happened, but I somehow trust that there's a bigger picture and that you're a good father even when the outcome isn't what I think it should be. And can I make this really personal, and I just want to be honest with you? As some of you guys know, my dad passed away last year. And many of you were joining with us. We were praying for him, praying for God to heal him, praying for God to work miraculously. I remember those couple of days while his health was struggling and while the doctors were giving us reports of just crying out to God in full faith, God, you are able to do this. I know that you are. And then getting the phone call saying, hey, dad's passed away. And it was a whole bunch of emotions, you guys. It was joy because I fully trust that my father was not in pain anymore that he wasn't struggling in his breathing, that he was totally healed in the presence of God. And then there was this deep hurt and anguish because I love my dad immensely. And that realization of he's not here with me anymore. And that was hard. And if I'm to be honest with you, I wrestled with God like even a couple of hours. I was like, God, you, you're the resurrection and the life. I don't know how, but he could still sit up on that hospital bed and scare a bunch of people. But you could bring him back to life. Like, you want to do that, God? And God's like, no. And that was hard. And can I just, I just wanted to share this because someone in this room may need to hear it. Or maybe it's just for me. Of It's okay to be honest with God. Like, we've had some real honest conversations since then. Of God, it doesn't make sense. Like, my dad was an amazing husband and father and pastor at his memorial service, we had so many people coming up to us like, my life has changed, my marriage is healed, my family's been restored, I'm saved because of Pastor Angel. And if God were to ask me, I would say, earth is better with Angel Escamilla here than without him here. I don't understand this. There have been moments where I've told God, I'm mad at you. This hurts. I don't like this, God. And can I just tell you, God's okay with that. Because I've never stopped loving God, and I've never stopped trusting him. It's just that me as his kid, I'm saying, I don't understand this. 
and it's painful, and it hurts, and it's difficult, but somehow, God, you've got a bigger picture. And I've come to the place where I'm saying, you don't have to tell me why. And I don't even expect to get to heaven and for God to have to explain himself. I just trust that he's good. And even though it didn't turn out like I hoped it would or prayed it would, I still trust that he's a good father and that he truly wants what's best for me. I trust him with my dad's life, that he wanted what was best for my dad and he wants what's best for my dad. Like I honestly believe that. But I just want to give you space in the midst of sickness and illness to be honest with God. The Bible is. If you've ever read any of the Psalms, David's saying, wait, God, it seems like wicked people are prospering. It seems like my adversaries are winning. It seems like I'm being crushed. This is in the Bible, these songs and poems that David is writing. God, I'm coming out behind and everyone else is coming out ahead. And I'm the one that loves you, God. And yet he keeps coming back. But you're my redeemer. And you're my shield. And you're my rock. And God, you're the one I'm going to worship. And I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I trust you have a bigger picture in mind. Isaiah chapter 55, the Lord says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Church, I want to tell you, when he asks you to wait, he's doing something. He's got a bigger picture in mind. We may not always understand it or get it, but we trust the goodness of God. Let me give you one last thought as we're looking at sickness and illness in our life, when we're talking about healing and prayer and not always understanding what God is doing. Let me challenge you with this, that you would, that you and I don't stop asking. We don't stop asking. That may seem odd, but the Bible tells us to do that. If you still have your Bibles open in Luke chapter 18. Look at this story that Jesus tells his disciples. It says this, then Jesus told his disciples a parable. That's a story kind of with a moral or, or a message behind it to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Jesus tells them a story that points out this message right here. You should always pray and not give up. Don't stop asking. And I don't have time to read all of this, but you can write that down, Luke chapter 18. It's verses 1 through 8, where Jesus tells about this, what he calls a persistent widow, who's being attacked and oppressed by people in her community. So she goes to this judge. This judge does not fear God. He doesn't really care about people. But eventually he gives in to the widow because she doesn't stop asking. She comes night and day. She keeps on bugging him. And he's like, I don't care about God. I don't care about people but I'm going to do what this woman wants me to because she doesn't stop asking. And the Bible says, hey, if this wicked judge will do this, how much more will your heavenly father respond to you? Don't stop asking. I can't tell you that the answer is always going to be what you want it to be. And I can't tell you it's always, the outcome's always going to happen like we want it to happen. But the Bible tells us that we can come to our heavenly father and we can continue to ask as his children, we can pray, pray with boldness, pray with faith, and ask him to intervene on our behalf. In James chapter 5, verse 14, it says this, Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them, 
and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well and the Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It's powerful and effective. The Bible's encouraging us, hey, if there's anyone among you sick, if you're struggling in your body, have the pastors and the leaders of the church anoint you with oil and pray over you. And God will heal you, not only physically, but look, it's something spiritually that happens as well. That God brings a healing to our spiritual person as well. And that's what he's saying. That we have the opportunity to come before God and to ask him for our healing. And so I want to encourage you with this. I know that there are those of you in the room that you have things going on in your physical body. I want to be honest. It's discouraging sometimes when you've prayed and prayed. And you're like, man, I don't, I don't see the outcome yet. I don't see the answer yet. But can I encourage you with this, that you trust God in the healing and that you trust God in the waiting. That you trust that he's a good father and that he hears and sees what's going on in your life. That there's a bigger picture at work and that we can trust God in that, but that we would never stop asking God to do that. Never stop asking God to work in our life. And so this is what I want to encourage us to do. We've created a little bit of time, and I've ended my message a little bit early this morning because we want to create a moment to pray together. And so in a second, not right now, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, and we're going to sing this chorus that we sang earlier. And you may feel surrounded by the enemy. It may seem like things are going on and you don't know the outcome. But can I tell you, God's presence is surrounding you. God is near to you. God is with you in those difficult moments. When you read John 11 in its entirety, we see a God that weeps with us. The Bible says that Jesus cries outside of the graveside of Lazarus because he feels that pain that we're going through, even though he knows resurrection is coming. And so we want to pray in faith. So we're going to sing this together, and then we're going to take a moment and pray together. And I'm going to ask you, some of you, this may be a big step, but I'm going to ask you to sing this out in faith. God, you're surrounding me, God. You're near to me. Your presence is here, Lord. I don't know the outcome. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm still going to praise you, and I'm going to worship you, and I'm going to love you, God, for your goodness. So if you would stand to your feet right now, you may be joining us and worship, worshiping with us online at home. If you're physically able, would you go ahead and stand to your feet? And we're just going to declare this out. It's going to be a statement of faith. But God is surrounding us no matter what it looks like right now.